I'm turning this evening to the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 3 and verse 17. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Particularly, we look at that 17th verse, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. My title is Christ Dwelling Within. Now, this is just a single study. Before we proceed to another series, and uh, it strikes me that it's uh, helpful at such a time as we begin the autumn campaign, and uh, we seek to reach out uh, afresh into the community and into the student world and among the children, well, that we should focus on a verse like this, which deals very much with the personal spiritual life. Christ dwelling within. Many think that this is an emotion, an experience, something tangible. Physical, sometimes, people think, certainly emotional. And there's no end of uh, messages preached along these lines, particularly in charismatic circles, higher life circles, and so on. Uh, the sensing of the presence of Christ. Well, you read people saying that they had tinglings running through the body, and especially after times of great concentration when they had focused themselves on drawing near to Christ and such exercises of that kind which they promote. Well, they've felt this sweeping through them, this and that experience, and there's all manner of descriptions. But here in this passage, it tells us quite clearly that it isn't a physical experience and it isn't an emotional experience either. Though, of course, closeness to Christ will lead to gladness and assurance, but it itself is not a felt sensation of any kind. And we read verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And they miss those vital and most important words. By faith. The presence of Christ within the Christian, of course, by the indwelling spirit, the presence of Christ is not felt in any tangible sense at all. It is something you know by faith. And we're going to analyse that and think of that. Because you believe in him with all your heart and you've acted on your belief in him and you've found him 
and you trust him and you confide in him and go to him and rely upon him and depend upon him but you don't receive at any stage any kind of felt experience whatsoever. It is a contact that you have with Christ by faith. Don't confuse the presence of Christ and your awareness of his presence with any happiness that may arise out of walking with Christ. That's quite different. That's a consequence. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Well, let's look at the whole passage. Some say, oh, it's a great sense of peace. It's a great stillness. Others say it's a sensation of discovery, whatever they mean by that. It's a much deeper sense of certainty. But many are saying, oh no, it's a sense of his presence in the room. And the Christian, so-called Christian pop stars, say, I sense... Christ is with me on the platform. Really? Would he be there? Is that at all likely? Especially with the things they're doing and the antics they're up to and the lyrics they're singing. But they convince themselves. They have a sense. Well, anybody can convince themselves of all sorts of sensations. But that's not the presence of Christ. By faith. No mystical connection. Within the Roman Catholic Church, there have always been large seams of what they like to call piety, in which people, priests and others, and monks, nuns, use various techniques to sense the presence and the nearness of Christ. Anything from gazing at statues or uh, pictures of Christ or crucifixes and focusing the mind and attention and by degrees of contemplation then they like to imagine they have a greater realisation of his nearness. No, it's by faith in him. By, may I use the word cautiously, intelligent faith in him. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. So it's not a mystical matter. And this is really my first heading. Every true Christian experience is by faith. By seeing him with the eye of faith, as we learn in the letter to the Hebrews. This is really a lesson in prayer from God. Because Paul is praying for God's people, for Christians, those to whom he writes. And it's an example and a lesson to us. And uh, we can track it from verse 14. You see those words, for this cause. That picks up the very first verse of the chapter. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, and then... The tremendous digression, not so much a digression, a parenthesis, all the way down to verse 14, where the apostle comes back 
to the original point for this cause. I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. His prayer for Christians begins. Verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. It's by the Spirit that you're going to be enabled to have Christ dwelling in your hearts by faith. So all honour is given to the Spirit as the prayer begins. But then the petition itself, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. They're Christians already. They're saved. They're walking with the Lord. Most of us here, I imagine, in this Bible study are professing Christians. You say that you've sought and found the Lord. And yet, the apostle is urged to pray for you that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. So it's possible for even a Christian not to have Christ dwelling in his heart by faith. It's something we need to be exhorted about. Is Christ dwelling in your heart by faith? No sensation, no felt experience to it, but is he dwelling in your heart by faith? Because we blow hot and cold and things sidetrack us and divert us and we get overwhelmed with earthly circumstances and our faith ceases to be exercised. So it cannot be said that Christ is actively dwelling in our hearts by faith. So important to know what form this takes then. Here are some of the fruits, first of all, of Christ being in the heart by faith. Verse 18, may be able to comprehend, to grasp, to appreciate with all other saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. All these fruits come from Christ being in our hearts by faith. So it's a prayer for Christians that will experience this. Christ is not just dwelling in the mind. If he was dwelling in the mind only, well, we're certainly not walking with the Lord. It's got to be in our whole soul. That's what is meant here by the heart. He has got to be in the mind, yes, believing in him, convinced of him. He's got to be in the affections, the heart, and he's got to be in the will. He's got to be in all of us. Calvin says, not in the tongue only, nor, and he uses an interesting phrase, nor just fluttering in the brain. Fluttering in the brain. I have to say, when you see some of the clergy conducting the Queen's funeral, uttering scriptures without any apparent commitment or interest in them, 
praying with their eyes wide open, an exhibition of spiritual remoteness. You, you, you think you see there's someone with Christ fluttering in the brain, not in the heart. They've got some theoretical acknowledgement of him. That's about all. Just flutters in the brain. To know the love of Christ and to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. By faith, first of all then, means that we believe in Christ with the understanding. We understand who he is and what he's done and why he's done it. And it's come to mean so much to us. We are fully persuaded of it. We are convinced of it. If that's the case, and you believe in Christ and his atoning purpose and his suffering and death for sinners and the necessity of that to seek and find the Lord and to walk with him, if you believe that with all your heart, that's the beginning of having Christ in you. Don't you see, by that very act of believing, Christ has, to some extent, taken you over and come into you. You haven't felt anything, but you've got Christ sitting firmly in your mind. You believe in him with your whole heart. That's the beginning. But then uh, you appreciate what he's done. It means something to you. It affects your affections. You must have him. You must know him. And your will is affected. You listen to what he says. Repent. Yield your life to me and obey me. And you do those things. So now not just your mind, but your heart, your desire is in it. Your will is in it. It's the Spirit of God brings it about, we know. But you turn to him and you throw yourself at his feet and ask him to receive you and to change you and transform you. Now he's really in you. Christ is your chief interest now. You're seeking him. What do you want in life? Somebody says to you, what do you want in life? Do you want a big house? Do you want a long life? Do you want 30 grandchildren? I can't, I'm not thinking of those things. I want salvation. I want Christ. I want to walk with him. He's got into you. Christ is in you. Just as the Puritans used to say, money is in the heart of the miser, so Christ is in the heart of the seeker and the finder. Christ has come in in that sense. He is your chief interest. His interests have become your interests. That's what the Bible means by Christ in you, the hope of glory. You think about him, you love your wife, I trust, and dearly, she's in your heart. You love your husband, he's in your heart. You love your children, they're in your heart. But in a special way, now Christ is in your heart. He's life, and he's eternity, and he's everything. And he's the greatest imaginable hero and lord to follow.
He's everything. He's got your attention, your interest, your affections, your will. That's what it means to have Christ in your heart by faith, because you believe in him and you've obeyed what you believed. It's very simple. Why do so many folk look for some tangible sensation, which is nothing by comparison? So I feel a tingling in me. This is precious to me. Christ is in me because I've got a tingling in me. No, Christ is in me because I've got eternal life and heaven and a saviour through life's journey and a companion and a lord and a master. Something vastly greater than any tangible sensation. They've got it all wrong. They've missed the point. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, and this is something that goes on. It's not just for five minutes. I was drawn to Christ, and then I dropped it. This is rooted like a tree, not like a daisy, which you can pull up easily, but like a tree you can't get out of the ground. This person, Christ is in him, Christ is in her in such a way he won't give him up, he won't let him go. And if he strays from him, he's got to go back, rooted and grounded. That's a quite different illustration. Like a foundation of a building. It is deeply in you, firmly in the soil of your heart. It cannot be removed. Your whole life can rest on this. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints. Verse 18 is what you understand. And verse 19 is what you experience. May be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. Well, many say that these words must be taken entirely poetically as describing something wonderful. And maybe that's true. And they say we shouldn't break the words down and, and uh, assign to them certain kinds of truth or blessing. So breadth means this and length means that and depth means something else and so on. But it's very tempting and it can be very appropriately done. When the love of Christ is in you, you appreciate his breadth, don't you? The breadth of the salvation that is in Christ is amazing. All kinds of people and sinners, people who've sinned with violence and cruelty can be saved. People who've sinned sexually can be saved. People who've sinned in the mind and in the heart with tremendous pride can be saved. 
people whose life is shot through and through with deceits can be saved. The breadth of the love of Christ, the categories of person who are saved, all kinds and conditions may be brought by the power of the Spirit to repentance. And then it's a comprehensive salvation. We've commented on this already. Changes your mind, your thinking, changes your heart, your affections, changes your will, your volitional, determining faculty. It's completely comprehensive. It takes all parts of you. Christ suffers for our sin and earns our reward by his righteousness. You can look at the breadth of the love of Christ in so many ways. It's so marvellous. In fact, we could spend an evening on it. And then there's the length, which obviously suggests the duration of the love of Christ. It is never withdrawn. It never diminishes. It never fades. His patience is indescribable and immeasurable and his affection for his people will go through eternity and the depth of the love of Christ well dear friends there's so much you could say about the depth of the love of Christ how deep is the love of Christ how far would he go to save a sinner what price would he pay he came from glory oh you know it so well into this sinful world he as it were descended into hell for us in what sense did he descend into hell he took our hell in his own body on Calvary's cross and suffered all that we should suffer in hell. How far would Christ go to save a lost, sinful, indifferent, arrogant soul even to suffering their hell? The great depth of the love of Christ. There's nothing on earth like that. Not even between husband and wife. There are limits because of human flesh and its frailties. But the depths to which the love of Christ has gone and the height, well, it's obvious what that could possibly be referring to. We should be elevated so high in the resurrected life of eternity and we shall see God in Christ, in his glorified, wondrous form, we shall look upon him and we shall behold things that cannot be described in human language. And we shall, in a sense, know all things. We shall be so exalted. Do you have a limited intellect? Of course you do. Even if you may like to think it's greater than that of some other people it's still limited one day it will be unlimited 
what we shall grasp and see and the wonders of the Godhead beyond description. But we can grasp some of this now, the fact of it and the wonders of salvation that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, by believing in him and acting on that belief and receiving him and knowing him. Then you become rooted and grounded in love and able to comprehend, appreciate, understand, embrace with all saints the breadth and length and depth and height and to know. Now it's a different knowing. It's a tasting. It's experiencing the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. So a few things I'd like to say just to apply these thoughts. You know him by conviction and you know him by dependence upon him. If Christ is in your heart, you depend upon him every day. You look to him in trial, you look to him in triumph, you look to him in journeys, you look to him in witness. Silent prayer goes constantly to the Lord as you sincerely and wholly depend upon him. Don't let the devil ever whisper in your ear and say, what you are about to do, you've done a thousand times before and you are very capable and you know your profession, your skill, your work, your trade, your route, you know it backwards. No, depend upon the Lord. Look to him as well. Do our utmost best but look to him in everything. That's having Christ in your view, in your mind, you'll naturally look to him. Just as if somebody you respect very much comes to a meal, but you sit down at the table, why, it's maybe your spiritual mentor, someone who led you to the Lord, someone who has helped you through a deep crisis, or with sound advice so many times and you sit down to your meal and you automatically defer to him will you give thanks it's like that every day every moment of the day Lord help me He's pre- because you, you have him in your heart and you believe he's there you'll look to him you won't ignore him You'll look to him for everything. Indebtedness too. Always keep your debt to him in mind. And be thankful to him. What he's done for you. Obey him in everything. Where are you going? Place of entertainment? Or that place of entertainment in the corner of the living room? the TV, or whatever. What are you going to watch? Is it something contaminated? Is it something laced with sin and the world? Is it something that just glorifies the flesh? 
and the life without God? Are you going somewhere that's consuming your stewardship and impoverishing you? Is it taking from your service? Is it pandering to the flesh? Is it a temptation you should really have resisted to strengthen your soul and stand for the Lord? Or as the old Christians used to say, could I take Christ there? These are the kind of questions we should be asking. Not straight away responding, oh, but my friend said, will you come to such and such a thing? And I said, oh, yes, I'd love to. I didn't even think. Is it for a Christian? Is it really suitable? Is it right? No, if Christ is in my heart and he is my chief interest, of course I'll ask those questions. And I'll be at his disposal. And I'll obey him. And I'll stay separate from the world, if that's what it is, something worldly. With Christ in my heart, I'll love his family. I'll study him. And I will expect and hope for new appreciations of him as life goes by. What am I looking forward to in the coming days? Maybe there'll be a great test or trial in my life. I don't know about it yet. It's something the Lord has planned. But the purpose of it will be for me to experience and to taste the blessing and the power of Christ in a way I never had before and see a new aspect of his wonder and his love and his grace. Look forward to that. Every stage of your life, every year of your life, maybe even every month of your life, you'll have a new appreciation of the glory of God meted out to you in some way as you look to him. People ask, what about exalted spiritual experiences? Even the Puritans used to speak of them. A special insight, a particular sense of Christ's goodness and greatness, God's wonders. What about special senses of very profound appreciation of spiritual things that are very moving? Dear friends, there's no doubt there are such experiences to all Christian people. Leave it to the Lord. The big mistake is to seek the special something. That's the whole point about a special experience. It is special. And it's in the sovereign hands of God. You can't find a technique to get it. You can't pursue a particular course that merits it or deserves it. 
It may come as part of comfort when you're in a season of understandable deep grief and you look to God and he answers your prayers and helps you and overrules your circumstances and blesses you and gives you special comfort you may have an unusual and what might be called an exalted realization of his power and goodness that's for God to grant you it may be as in the case of Moses or as in the case of the Apostle Paul that something comes out of the blue because it's a preparation for a terrific test to strengthen his servant through a time of unusual pressure and persecution perhaps these things are in the hands of God you can't seek them for us it's a matter of having Christ in the heart by faith believing in him reflecting on him studying him looking to him constantly through life trusting him looking forward to his return you do all these things he's your chief interest and his interests are your interests his mission is your mission that's having Christ in your heart that's what it's about let me read the passage as we close that he would grant you according to the riches of his grace to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us for holiness or for service unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without end Amen Let's think as we close in singing the hymn 470 Hymn 470 Jesus Master Whose I Am <laughs>